This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Sober Life Audio Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What up, guys? Welcome back. Got Brian here. Roman. And we have a very special guest with yes, us. Yes, we do. Forrest, the man. You're in the house. Say what's up, dude. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Yeah, Forrest, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the movement. You, my friends, um, I can't get excited enough. For those that are listening, this is someone that's been a huge inspiration in my life, someone I look up to, and a, a friend that I hold close and, and near and dear to my heart. That being said, Forrest, you don't have to say anything, <laughs> <laughs> but we start this each episode with a guest with three questions. Brian? Forrest, what is your vision? So my vision is to be a small light in a big darkness. That lights up a lot of a room, yeah. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of, um, not that it's anybody's fault, but a lot of darkness in our culture right now. Mm. And, yeah. And so, my vision is to um, basically um, shine light on places that are um, maybe a little bit moldy and dark, and <laughs> yeah, uh, in in the best ways that I can. And and so that's what. Um, my ultimate vision is, and I have more specific ways that um, I want to and practice doing. Nice. Awesome. Love it. Ru- okay, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two, what do you love? Like, what What do you just, what do you love? I love my daughter, mm. first and foremost. What's her name? Her name is Grace. Oh, Grace. sweet. Yeah. Of course it is. Beautiful. She's, she's the best part of my life. Mm. How old is she now? She's 11. Whoa. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. She's got pink hair. What? Cut all her hair off and dyed it pink. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah. Yep. Was that a shock for you, Forrest? No, I don't care. Got it. Whatever makes her happy. It's her body. It's her hair. Yeah. Coolest dad. That is, that's amazing <laughs> to hear, you know, because that's not the same response a lot of fathers give. I don't believe in body shaming. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. And Forrest, question number three. What's a book that has influenced you, that has shaped you, or that just means means something to you? So I, I knew you guys were going to ask me this question beforehand, and I started to think about it. And right. There were actually a few books that came to mind. Uh, one was The Alchemist. Mm. But I read that one after I had an experience, and the book that most recently has changed my life the most is a book by Carl Marlantis called What It's Like to Go to War. And Mm. in that book, Carl Marlantis is a Vietnam veteran who was a Marine platoon commander in Vietnam. And he discussed a lot about for warriors that there's a right way to come home, to depart and come home from war, and there's a really unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And that war is not a football game, 
Mm, and right. so standing like on the side of the road cheering and waving flags and stuff when their soldiers returning maybe isn't the most appropriate thing. That, that was kind of the first thing about that book that grabbed my attention. And right. the rest of it, <clears throat> he talked about initiation process and also about meditation. So there's a lot of places to do that, like the Mankind Project and yeah. uh, Sparta, Save a Warrior, Warrior's Ascent, stuff like that. Right. Which, yeah. that that's like a perfect transition into... What's next? And I know that those things are important to you because I know you very well, but our listeners may not yeah. know this. So, so this is your opportunity for us. Tell us what's what's your what's your five minute story. Well, and real quick, I think it's important to know that Force, you are a veteran, correct? Yes. So, do you want to tell us? Yeah, a little bit about your story, your background, where sure. you served. Yeah, and, and get on into it. So, I grew up in Ventura County. Uh, I was a foster kid by the age of twelve. And yeah. I was homeless by the age of 17. Mm. I joined the Navy at 18. And I went to Iraq in 2004. I had a little bit of a break in service where I got out in 2000. And I basically put down all mind-altering substances mm-hmm. in November of 2000. And shortly after that, I had accidentally killed my best friend. And I was charged with murder and acquitted. And then mm-hmm. was once again homeless because I imagined that I deserved and should be and were going was going to go to prison. And the jury acquitted me. Wow. And then when I was released, I was homeless again. And the invasion of Iraq was starting and I had nothing going on. So I re-enlisted into the Navy as a, as a medical corpsman. Right. And I did 22 months again. Went over to Iraq. Came home. Actually, I started tattooing in Iraq. That's where I found my career. Oh, wow. And wow. I got home. I did not know that. And I was the, among my peers, I was the only OIF, OEF veteran who was in the kind of recovery that I'm in. Right. Can and, you explain what, what that means? Well, I choose not to drink on a daily basis. I choose not to do drugs on a daily basis. Got it. And there's a community of people that are like-minded. Got it. And I was the only one in my peer group who had been to the war and so the treatments and the practices and all that kind of stuff that might work for somebody without really i don't know i don't want to say unique circumstances Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right someone who hasn't shared that experience right right um so i started seeking what what is it about me that makes me feel different from everybody else right and what it is what is it about me that i'm not seeing or not dealing with in order to live a productive, full life. Mm. So I've been seeking for, for some time, and my search really did start in 2005 when I came home. I started to look for meaning in life and a good way to be of service to others. Holy shit, man. Yeah. So there's a lot of ground we covered there. We talked <laughs> being being in the foster system, yeah. being homeless, uh, being in the service, uh, accidentally shooting your best friend, when did you, you know, real quick to get into the alcohol and drugs, how did that play a role in your life? Was that something you found early on? I did. I started okay. I started suppressing with drugs and alcohol when I was 13 years old because okay. I was being molested and okay. I lived in a lot of poverty and, and a lot of abusive circumstance. Wow. And for that yeah. for that time, alcohol and drugs probably helped kept, you. Kept me alive. Probably yeah. served yeah, you. Probably, yeah. 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 Absolutely. It served you. Yeah. It did. So, Forrest, when when did you get sober? Like, when? How old were you? And and kind of what was the circumstances going on around then? 
this time I was 23 years old. Holy shit, okay. Damn. I had Young. I'd given my first solid attempt at 21, mm-hmm. and I managed to go about a year, 11 months, and two weeks. Yeah. And I wasn't meditating. I wasn't mm-hmm. taking inventory. I wasn't um, helping others. Yeah. I was just kind of, okay, baby steps for me. It took yeah. me a long time to learn. And yeah. I had a drink again and thought that maybe just I had just been young and maybe mm-hmm. I was partying too much and, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm better now and I can just be a normal person. And mm-hmm. that didn't work out. And so this time when I decided I, I didn't want to live that life anymore, I was willing to go to any length that mm-hmm. it took, yeah. uh, even truly revealing who I am. And I love Brene Brown. She's Ooh. amazing. Yes. And yeah. I, I don't know, uh, according to Brene Brown, yeah. <laughs> the word courage comes from a Latin word, cur, which means okay. to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Wow. And I became willing to tell the story of who I was with my whole heart and share that with people and be vulnerable. Wow. That's a little amazing. bit of time. That's amazing. Wow. And over the course of, what is that, 12 years? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. How, 16 how, years? Yeah. You've been sober 16 years? Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Wow. Can happen, people. Yeah. And over the course of 16 years, man, I am sure that you are not the same person. No. That you were. No. Even physically, all my cells from back then are regenerated <laughs> right. and gone, right. man. <laughs> you are a different person I, today. I pooped them all out. Yes, you did. <laughs> you pooped them out. And just since Gosh. I've known you, I've known you five years now, a little over, and just in that short amount of time, I know a different person today. And I know that you are passionate about helping others. Yes. When I think of Forrest, I think of altruism at its finest. Selflessness, helping others, being that light in that dark room. Yeah, and, and to piggyback off that, Forrest, what are some of the things that are important to you that you do to to stay sober, man? I mean, this is a struggle for so many people, and you've got 16 years. Like, What are some of the the attitudes, the behaviors that are working for you? For me, it's not even really about just staying sober anymore. That's a good start. Yeah. For me, I have to constantly check my ego. Mm. I mean, even just with hearing people say positive things about me mm-hmm. sometimes can make me feel like there might be my ego inflating, which right. isn't good for me. Right. So I keep I try to keep my ego deflated, and I I realize that I'm just a guy. That's all. I'm not anybody really important. I'm just like everybody else. The things that I do, I try to consistently make the world around me a little bit of a better place, whether it's my housekeeper making her day a little bit easier and maybe giving her a little extra money and saying, hey, you're doing such a great job. I really appreciate you and seeing people. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people aren't seen. And in my work, I, I try to truly see the people that I'm working on. And getting tattooed, a lot of times... People are, are putting themselves in, in a vulnerable position. Right. And, right. and so, really connecting individually with a person and how can I make this experience a, a one of growth mm-hmm. and one that's positive? And I can't do that with everybody. That's why I don't tattoo everybody. Right. <laughs> and some people aren't, aren't receptive or maybe are just a little bit too toxic for me to be around. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like tattooing people that are like high on meth and that type of stuff. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I can't be around. Yeah. Um, but I find that a lot of people that, that decorate their body have been wounded. Yeah. And, and a lot of times that's a way to put a mark and a, a piece of that wound into yeah. a, a physical manifestation. Sometimes mm. they don't even know it. Yeah. 
I mean, I look back and, you know, I'm covered in tattoos as you are, as Brian is. I look back and some of my tattoos, I could recall a specific feeling when I decided to get that tattoo. And it was part of a story. You know, it's like a canvas, right? Another thing that I do is I meditate daily. Mm. I learned uh, meditation from a guy named Michael Salonius. Okay. And it's a three-part meditation, mm-hmm. and it's 20 minutes long. And I learned this during a treatment I went through two and a half years ago when my life had fallen apart again. Right. My my relationship ended. My business was failing. I realized that I had placed myself in this crisis situation all right. the time because yeah. I had grown up in crisis, living from crisis to crisis. And so... I put myself around other people and tried to solve their crisis. It was like, like almost like a subconscious. Let's keep, let's keep the war going. Yeah. Uh, Because I'm really comfortable when my life's threatened or when I'm actually very, very comfortable when my life is threatened. It actually feels kind of good. Like that comfort zone. It's odd. Um, Mm -hmm. There was this guy pretty recently that, that wanted to fight me (sighs) and he he was offended over something I said to him. And sometimes, you know, we're around people that are very vulnerable and sensitive. Right, and this was right. kind of a big guy. Yeah. And he was screaming in my face that he was going to kick my ass. I'm going to fuck you up. And I, and I was just smiling. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I wasn't giving him the reaction, but that's not the place that I want to live. And no. I, I, I believe firmly in, I guess, a, a Western belief that individual happiness is more important than group happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm watching a television show about uh, a scenario where the Third Reich had actually won World War II. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Man in the High Castle. Yeah, the Man in the High Castle. And a lot of uh, Mein Kampf, I read a little bit of it, um, put societal happiness ahead of individual happiness. And societies don't change the world. Individuals change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's it's very important to connect in with with inside because everything Mm -hmm. I've ever needed to know— is is right here in my body. I have it all, and no big corporation, no big yeah. money, no big business idea, no giant group of friends, no perfect woman, no perfect car, nothing. no perfect life. Nothing is is gonna give me what I can find right in my gut, and it's really difficult to connect into that, especially in today's culture. Yeah, right. it's very loud and busy, yeah, and materialistic, and there's there's a lot of just almost white noise yeah. of just information happening right now. All and, the time. Dude, totally. The way, ads the way we live ups. and work is, is different. I mean, I'm connected to this thing all the time. It's with me all the time. He's got his cell phone in his hand, by the way. Yeah, I get texts all day long about tattoos yeah. or about some yeah. kind of recovery stuff or like whatever, mm-hmm. and there's never a break. No. And yeah. so meditation is a break. Mm-hmm. I, I get a break, and, and I know that I've, gotten to the place I need to get when I can hear the birds. When I'm meditating in the morning, mm. I can't hear the birds when I get up. Wow. And when I get to that place where I start to hear the birds, I'm like, okay, I got here. Yeah. Yeah. So for two things. One is uh, something I kind of surmised from what you had to say is that things outside of us aren't going to be what's going to be able to fix us on the inside. Absolutely. And the second thing I'd love to hear you talk about more, you, you mentioned this this 20-minute meditation do you mind going into a little bit more detail about? Not what, at all. Yeah, yeah. So tell use, us about that. I use a timer called Insight Timer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the meditation is three parts. The first part, um, first, I, I, for me, meditation is a physical practice. It's not so much a mental practice. It's mm-hmm. a practice of holding my body physically still because I can't hold my mind still. I'm not capable of doing that. 
I understand that the only way we'd have no brain activity is if we were dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I understand <laughs> that there's I mean, going to be activity yeah. in my brain. Yeah. Right. And what I'm trying to do is channel my body to a place where my mind and my heart can connect. Got and it. so I can just yeah. feel this connection with myself because a lot of times I feel very disconnected. Yeah. And connection is life. I mean, mm-hmm. We would die without it. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm disconnected from myself, it makes it hard for me to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And so the the very first part, I find a place to be still. Sometimes I lay down. I'm, I blew my L5 out when I was in service. And so I don't mm-hmm. really have much cartilage mm-hmm. in my, my low back. Yeah. And so sometimes I lay down. Sometimes when I'm feeling good, I sit up and I think a mantra inside of my head. The mantra is Ava. For those of you who need phonetic spelling, it's Alpha, Victor, Alpha. <laughs> and so what I'll do is I'll place my thumb and my ring or my thumb and my index finger together and think ah, my thumb and my middle finger think va, thumb and ring finger ah, thumb and pinky finger va and just repeat that. And okay. whatever whatever pace is good for me and so I just try to focus on my mantra and my mudra which is what I'm doing with my hands just to stimulate both sides of my body. So ah, uh, va, ah, va, ah. And I don't say it out loud because to me that would just be weird. Yeah. Because I, I meditate with other people. And okay. I get a little, I was in, you know, religious cults and stuff mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. So I'm a little weirded out with culty behavior. <laughs> and, <laughs> do you close your eyes? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. I have my eyes closed and I try to relax as much as I can. And then, right. so that goes on for six minutes and 40 seconds and then a timer goes off. Mm-hmm. And during the second phase of the meditation, I breathe in either through my nose or my mouth. It doesn't matter. I breathe in and I think ah the whole time, and then I breathe out and I think va the whole time. And if my brain is very loud and trying to play mm. a Smash Mouth song or something <laughs> that I don't want to hear when I'm trying to focus, sometimes I'll go oh va like inside my head, <laughs> yeah. like as loud yeah. as I can, wow. just just to try to bring myself present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then during then that's six minutes and forty seconds, and the third phase, the timer rings again, and I just sit quietly. And if I get a distraction. I acknowledge that distraction instead of trying to push it away. I go, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And then I return to my breath. Yeah. And I have a different different experience every time with meditation. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm anxious and I just want it to be over with. Other times I've tuned in to where I could feel my heartbeat. Yeah. And I could feel my pulse throughout my whole body. I've had experiences where I felt like I traveled. Yeah. I've had experiences where I've had realizations about life and realizations about time how not real time is <laughs> time is damn not i mean i it it's real because we make it real right it's a way for us to measure our perception of what happens around us mm-hmm. but time wasn't there without human beings yeah and and i really feel like time is a relative thing because sometimes i have a meditation it feels like two hours mm-hmm. yeah and other times i have one that feels like 10 seconds yeah and the clock did the same thing so right Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, Forrest, thank you for going into that. That was epic. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, 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 that was, no, that was so I'm just valuable. Like, I'm just like, what? This is this is amazing. And I know from my experience, I, I kind of have a similar, oh, hey, lights. Wow. I have a, I have a similar um, experience as you, same, kind of similar childhood, similar military background. And one thing I know about our peers in, in general, but, you know, most people in recovery is staying present is sometimes some of the hardest things to do. Like being present in the moment, 
Because a lot of people in recovery are tripping on the past, right? Haven't let go or haven't healed or haven't... Can I, can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. Tell us. So sometimes at certain points in life, it was good for us to dissociate. And that was a defense mechanism that worked just like drinking. Yeah. And so it's a matter of retraining our neural pathways. I'll, I'll tell you, without disassociation, I may not have been here. I went to this hippie fest called Burning Man a couple <laughs> years ago. I just decided I was going to go. Yeah. And I, I didn't really have any expectation. I didn't have any ticket. I just got on my motorcycle and went. And yeah. These hippies are like, you can't do that. You need a Winnebago with blood. I was like, whatever, man. If I don't get in, I'll just, I got water and jerky. I'll go in the desert for five days, whatever I need to do. Yeah. And while I was there, I was reading this book that I don't remember the the name of the book. And in this book, I, I immediately connected with it because there was a, a girl who was being molested by her father in mm-hmm. this book. And there was a blue angel that came and took her away. And as I'm reading this book, I look in my backpack and there's a... So I, I still have my backpack from the war. It's all raggedy, yeah. stinky, nasty old camo backpack. It's just something yeah. that I like to have. Nobody's, mm-hmm. No woman's thrown it away yet, so mm-hmm. I still have it. And <laughs> there was a piece of paper folded up inside of that backpack where my name, tape, or my name tag would go. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it out, and there was a, a note for my daughter that was maybe four years old. I could tell by her handwriting it was all sloppy, and it had yeah. moons and stars on it. It said, Grace T. Dad. And it had a watermark of a blue angel in the background. Ah. And that experience for me was so powerful, realizing uh, about this disassociation that I had had. And I, I don't have any specific belief about anything, but maybe my daughter was that disassociation yeah. then, and now maybe she's here with me. I, I don't know any of that stuff, but yeah. I, I cried. I wept. Yeah. Holy shit, that happened. man. Well, that's... So that was very important then. Yeah. Now, there's no physical danger to me. Right. I'm not being... You're here. At. Yeah. I'm not being assaulted. I am not hungry. If I am hungry, I can get something to eat. Right. If I'm tired, I have a place to sleep. I have shelter. I have everything I need. And so the disassociation no longer serves me. So mm-hmm. I have to retrain my brain to be present. Yeah. And that's all it is. And it's telling a new story. A lot of times I hear guys say, well, I can't meditate. I can't sit still for 20 minutes. Yeah, I hear and that the, all the time. You hear that are, literally are, all the time. These are fucking Marines yeah. that I know they went through training where they had to stay still for way longer than... Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. And, and some of them sat in a ditch for three days, very yeah. still, so they wouldn't die. So mm-hmm. I know these guys can do that. And girls, too. I know all of us yeah. are capable, unless there's a disease that causes physical movement. Yeah, right. But even then, we have this old... Vietnam guy who has really bad nerve damage who still stays still. He just shakes in one place. And so sometimes it's just a matter of telling a new story. Instead of I can't, I will. That's what affirmation is. Yeah. And and so I'm a firm believer in affirmation. I'm far from perfect and good at this stuff. I'm learning as I go. I'd like to dig into that a little bit about the story that we tell ourselves. What what kind of tips or suggestions do you have to – start to believe like to to change the story we're telling ourselves and then actually believe the new story. Do you know what I mean? For me the way it started is very basic. I looked in the mirror and I said, "I love you." <laughs> to myself in the mirror Dang, and it was yeah. the weirdest, most odd, <laughs> and that was 18 years ago. <laughs> so whatever baby steps it takes to start, yeah. start with something. Yeah. If we're on a boat and we're heading, what's what's a degree that a boat goes? 
36 degrees or something? I'm, I'm I don't not, know. I'm not a, I'm not I'm a, not a real sailor. I'm so not let, a boat so let's, say, let's say we're on, a, on this little boat, and we're headed at 36 degrees, and mm-hmm. we change course to 37 degrees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not really a big change right away, right? Right. right. But what happens after two days? What happens after a month? What happens after a year? You end up in an entirely different place. Yeah. Absolutely. So my suggestion would be to take whatever small change you're capable of right now and do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's fucking solid, dude. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm like, yes. We are raining knowledge on our listeners right now. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Golden. I love that. That That's very valuable for us. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some of the population that we have the opportunity of being associated with, and that is veterans, veterans in recovery, mm-hmm. and veterans who are combat veterans, as well as those that suffer from PTSD, in quotation Which marks. PTS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. a disorder. Qu- yeah. Quotation marks, it's, guys. It, you guys can't hear that. The, it's a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that a lot of people don't know. Don't know. Well, they just a, have no idea. There's a huge mm-hmm. stigma about it. Yeah. yeah. There, there's guys I know that are in the service that wanted to do recruiting and are not allowed to because they were diagnosed with PTSD. So now they're not good enough anymore. Right. Mm. And that's a ridiculous notion. Yeah. Now, all, all that creates is more suppression and more damage. And Yeah. And it's it's really like the conversation is people don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They They literally made something that affects... It really affects into four letters. Let me let me flip over though. Yeah. To the other other side of that coin, that unfortunately we have, and I may offend people by saying this, mm-hmm. a lot of veterans that are babied and coddled right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And if you say anything negative to a veteran who's not doing anything for themselves, right? You you hate freedom, which I I think is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I, I I don't really think that our community. Um, should pull that veteran card and that entitlement because I volunteered to do what I did. Yeah, and and same. so did every single one of same. one of our generation. Yeah. We were not drafted. No, we weren't. And now there, there's some stuff that we are entitled to, right? Mm-hmm. So the government made set asides for us. For me, I'm I'm entitled to dental benefits at the mm-hmm. VA. Yeah. So I go to the VA. I want to get my teeth fixed. They give me this huge runaround. I'll fight for that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if uh, I go into Barnes and Noble and they don't have a military discount, right? It's ridiculous for me to go. Well, why don't you? Blah blah blah. You know that whole yeah. entitlement of, yeah. of stuff. And and I know people. I don't want to be a career veteran. I definitely don't. No. I don't want to go from program to program and see what I can get out of this or that. Um, and it's unfortunate that that is the reality for a lot. But that's what we train them to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what we teach them how to do when they get out. And yeah. then we diagnose them with PTSD and mm-hmm. give them, you know, I, I some of my friends, man, they're they're still in the army. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have a dear friend who who still uses army terminology all the time. Right. And and it's sad. I was in the VA a few months ago, maybe last year. And I was talking to this old guy in there. I went into the chow hall at the VA because sometimes I. Yeah. They have soft food. It's easy to eat. My, yeah. my teeth are all messed up. And I was talking to this guy, and he goes, oh, hey, man, what'd you do? I said, oh, I was a, I was a Navy corpsman. He goes, oh, you go with the Marines? I'm all, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And with the grunts? I said, yeah. He goes, cool. I'm like, what about you? He goes, oh, I'm a machine gunner. 
and I think it was 0351 or 0330. I don't remember yeah, what yeah, the machine he, gunner yeah. MOS is. But this guy is 70 years old, and he's no longer a machine gunner. No. He has not been a machine gunner for a long time, and that's his identity. Yeah. And, and that's really sad. It's really, really sad. Right. And I don't want my military service to be the best thing I ever did with my life. Right. And mm. for a lot of us, it ends up being that way. And our culture completely accepts that. Yeah. And so there, there's nothing really, I think, institutionally that we can do. But I do believe, and I have seen, if guys start to look inside and mm-hmm. meditate and start to seek recovery, mm-hmm. that they'll start to see more and more that we, we have way more similarities than we have differences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me and a 70-year-old trans woman in India... <laughs> have way more similarities than we have differences. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So once wow. once we can realize that and we can look at each other mm-hmm. and have conversations with each other, we'll be a lot better off. And, and a lot of the problem is, is with uh, Technology. this isolation yeah. Yeah. because there's no mirror neurons in a yeah. phone or a TV yeah. mm-hmm. or a headset. We need to have conversations. With it's all about us. Yeah. being human. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest steps in that direction is is being sober, absolutely. at least for alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first step. Yeah, <laughs> and then one. it kind of, you know, one thing I also took from that too, and thinking about sobriety is that when you get sober and ten, twenty, you know, five, ten, twenty years later, it's really are we still identifying myself as like I used to be a junkie and that's mm-hmm. who I am. It's like, no, like now I'm a family man. I'm a businessman. I got, you know, I'm a different person. Yeah, that's part of my story, but it doesn't need to be who I am. I heard a guy in recovery talking one time and he said, I can't guarantee you anything, but things are going to get different. I can't guarantee you they're going to get better. They're going to get different. If they just fucking got different, who cares? Things get better. Yeah. Yeah. get mountains better yeah. i strongly yeah. disagree with that man mm. yeah because what would be the fucking point if mm-hmm. things didn't get yeah. better <laughs> right for me i couldn't have accomplished anything i've accomplished in my life if i hadn't gotten sober anything that means anything right mm-hmm. seriously i mean i if we have daughters and i i can't even fathom being a father or even participating in that at all if i wasn't probably wouldn't have felt good enough no mm. not at all yeah so we're running out of time, but I do want to talk one last thing, and it's something you mentioned earlier. I know it's something you're passionate about. Sparta. Yes. What uh, is it? Not going to go into what exactly it is because <laughs> of tradition, but yes. I do a meditation group on Monday nights. This isn't Fight Club, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It, it would be like a friend of Bill type of thing. Where Got it. Got it. Right. We'd apply traditions. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not necessarily for people who have a substance abuse problem. Right. It's for people who have trauma as a result mm-hmm. of military service. Mm-hmm. And we meet every week at Rooted Kava Bar on Monday night at 10 p.m. I know that's kind of late, and I know there's kind of two types of vets, mm-hmm. types that are champions <laughs> at life and up at 5.30 in the morning. That's not me. Yeah. And then there's the ones that are up all night and sleeping until about 10.30. That's me. And, <laughs> and so our, our group uh, hasn't grown enough to require a second group. I know there's people that would go if it was earlier, and eventually yeah. that'll happen. But right now, Monday nights, 10 p.m., 1731 University Avenue, 
Yes. 92103, I think is the zip code. Yeah. It's in, it's in the Hillcrest. And yeah. uh, it, it's a great place. All veterans are welcome. We had it only just for combat vets and male combat vets right. to start. And we feel like we've grown strong enough as a group to open it up. We actually voted about it last night. So wow. all, all veterans are welcome. Nice. Wow, that's and amazing. Eventually, we would like, and, and there's not a there's not a sobriety requirement. Cool. So if if you have a friend who maybe isn't, uh, yeah, those that are listening isn't suffering from addiction or alcoholism, but is suffering from some sort of either trauma, trauma, or you know, military sexual trauma or whatever, mm-hmm. it's a great place to go learn to meditate. And, yeah. and have a positive support group. We don't do war stories there. We don't tolerate war stories. War stories have a tendency to re-traumatize everybody in the room. We're uh-huh. talking about what we're doing today. Yeah, and yeah. it's not to shut anyone down. There's there's places to go if if people have stuff they need to get off their chest. Right. But we also don't want to damage each other. So Love wonderful. It, yeah. So Forrest, in in closing, uh, what's your? You got any last little bits and any nuggets? Any little any little yeah. message? You any little zinger you want to throw out there? Everyone that's listening, is there anything that you would like to say personally to them? I would like to say, "What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. Don't hurt me. No more. <laughs> that's that, yeah." Okay. Don't take yourself so fucking seriously. How about that? There we go. There you go, man. Love it. So that being said, Forrest, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Love you. Thank you for all that you do. Seriously. Our listeners, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Love you guys. And uh stay tuned for the next episode of the Sober Sober Life Life. Experience. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.